if anyone hasn't ever heard of the microbiome, um, it's it's the collection of all the genomes of the microbes that are in and on your body. And so we talk about the gut microbiome, which is what biomes um, has been primarily focused on. But the microbiome is also found in your nose and your saliva and your skin and really all over your body. It's just that these microbes live everywhere. Um, but there's a lot of them in the gut, trillions of them, in fact. And something that I find really fascinating is so humans, we have around 20,000 genes the microbes that live in your gut have a hundred times the number of genes, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And so if you remember back to, you know, uh, high school biology, a gene makes RNA, which then becomes a protein and the proteins are what go and perform some sort of function in your body. And so you can imagine if your microbiome has a hundred times the number of genes, that's a lot of possible proteins that are having different impacts in our body, um, responding to our own cells, um, having a lot of impacts um, on our health and wellness. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, Dr. Sarah Bird. And actually, I have not one but two guests, because I'm along with Dr. Bird, I have a colleague, a gentleman by the name of Rob Pello, and I'll go into the full introduction for them in a moment. But first, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your time in in giving me your ears for the podcast. I know there are many podcasts out there. There are a lot of fitness podcasts out there. And I really, I sincerely appreciate your taking the time to listen to All About Fitness. What I try to do on All About Fitness is bring you the science of how exercise affects your body. And, and that's what I, we get into today. And, and I want to let you know that if I have representatives from a company on, and Dr. Bird and, and Rob both work with the same company, Viome, if I have representatives from a company on to talk about the science of what the product that company offers, it's because I really do think there's a legitimate benefit of using the product or service. And that's exactly what we get into today with this discussion. Because for years, for years, I've been recommending to clients, to personal clients, that they should be training like professional athletes. And by that, I mean do the movement-based exercise programs. You know that's been a theme of mine on the podcast. If you've been listening to the All About Fitness podcast, you know I talk about moving, exercise, movement-based exercises. Our exercise should be based on how we move. That's the way the professionals train. That's the way you should be training. Another thing that professionals do is they focus on metabolic conditioning, and I've had previous guests on here to talk about that. Now, another thing that professional athletes do, and this is exactly why we speak with Dr. Bird today, is professional athletes understand, they go into understanding deep into their physiology of how all, all the systems in their body work. Your gut biome, well, first of all, your gut, your intestine, I forget what it is. If you laid out the, the surface area of your intestines, I think your, your intestines in your body can cover the surface area of a tennis court. I think that's, that's the stat I saw. So think about that. You have an entire tennis court of surface in your, in your gut biome. One of the things that professional athletes do and have been doing for years, probably going back about five or 10 years, one of the things professional athletes have been doing for about the past decade is doing testing. They do blood testing and other types of testing, which you'll hear about today. But professional athletes do testing to understand how their gut biome functions. Because your gut, your intestine, your intestines have a whole different nervous system. When you look into the function of, of your intestines, your intestine, intestines have their own nerve roots. There's a whole nervous system innervating your intestines. Your intestines are where, where hormones are produced. 
There's a direct limbic. Lim- your limbic system is your emotional system. There's a direct, you have that, that term, the gut feeling, right? There's a direct connection between your gut and your emotions. So for years, professional athletes have been having testing done to see how their gut functions, to understand what's called the gut biome, all the microbacteria, the bacteria that live in your gut, determine how your food is digested. And if you understand your gut biome, then you can get specific programming for your nutrition. And that's one of the things, that, when you look at, here we are in the NFL season, I'm recording this in late October of 2020. Here we are in the NFL season where Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Tom Brady's in his 40s, Drew Brees is, is in his late 30s. You have Le- LeBron James, who's in his late 30s, who just helped win a championship with the Lakers recently, NBA championship with the Lakers. One of the reasons why athletes are able to perform so well into their later years now, and, and not the 30s or 40s or later years, but we've never been we've we've never seen athletes perform at this level for this long before in history. One of the reasons why they're able to do that is because they do testing like understanding their gut biome. They do things that they understand the role of sleep. They understand the role of nutrition. I listen to a couple different sports talk radios and and you have all these conversations about steroids and, and performance-enhancing drugs. But in reality, one of the reasons why athletes are so productive and why you have athletes performing at such a high level is because we have much better understanding about physiology than we did 10, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And this is something, if you've listened all about fitness for a while, you've heard me talk about this. And that is, if you have high school kids in in a conditioning program now, high school kids are getting better strength and conditioning advice than pro athletes did back in the 1990s. And I mean that. We understand so much more about how the body functions that really pro athletes have every advantage and they apply that. And that's exactly why I wanted to interview Dr. Bird. Dr. Bird works with a company called Viome. Viome does testing to help you understand the physiology of your gut. The Viome does testing to help you understand your gut, your gut biology, the microbiology in your gut. Dr. Bird is a microbiologist. She earned her PhD in molecular biology from a little university called Stanford. And she's actually one of a couple of different Stanford scientists I've had on the podcast recently. And that's, and that's what I mean by I respect your time. I try to go, if I am going to speak to somebody about a product or a service, I want to make sure that I'm talking to somebody who understands the science. I get emails all the time from people. I want to, you know, can we come on your show? Can we come on your show? They're, they're talking about a product. And, and most of the time I turn them down. Unless, number one, I think there's a specific scientific application, which Viome has that. I think Viome is really a great concept. And I'll talk a little bit about my, that more in a second. So I only have talked to somebody from a product company, number one, if there's a scientific application. And number two, I only talk to somebody if I can talk to an actual scientist so you can understand why we should be doing this. And that's exactly what Dr. Bird today does today. Dr. Bird goes into the biology, some of the molecular biology and microbiology about how our gut biome functions. And just to let you know, I have a very bad flashback. I was Biology was not my strongest subject in school, so I have a bad flashback to 10th grade biology as we're, as we're going through this podcast interview. You'll hear me share about that. But really, this is a fascinating discussion about our molecular and microbiology, about the biology of our gut, about, about our biome, about our gut biome, what that is, why that's important, with Dr. Sarah Bird and Rob Pello from a company called Viome. Now, one of the things that Viome is going to do, there is a discount code. If you're interested in having the testing done, there's a discount code. Look down below in the show notes for that discount code. 
and you can order your own Viome kit and do your testing. I'm actually going to have my testing done. And just like I'm sharing some of my favorite smoothie recipes with you from my interview with Francis Largeman, Francis Largeman Roth, just like I'm sharing some of my favorite smoothie recipes with you, I may be sharing the, the, the outcome of, my, of the Viome testing I do and how that changes and how that's going to affect my training and my nutrition going forward. So I'm going to use myself as a test of one, which you hear Dr. Bird talk about. So here we go with a fascinating conversation with Dr. Sarah Bird, a molecular biologist, and Rob Pello, both from the company of Viome. On All About Fitness today, we actually have two guests. I am speaking with Rob Pello and Dr. Sarah Bird from a company called Viome. And uh, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Pete. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank great, you. Peter. All right. And so, Sarah, what, I, what we're talking today is we're, talking, we're going to talk about microbiology and the gut biome. And the one question I like to ask people, what got you started? What, what started your interest in, the, in microbiology? Why did you study that field, especially since you got a PhD in it? Yeah, so um, I actually studied microbiology at UC Davis uh, for my undergrad. I've always been really intrigued in this field of host pathogen interactions and how microbes can really co-opt and take advantage of different parts of our uh, cellular functions. And so I graduated college into a recession and I figured it was a fantastic time to go continue my education and get a PhD. And I was really fortunate to um, be accepted into the microbiology and immunology program at Stanford, um, where I had a you know a really wonderful mentor. Um, I actually studied poliovirus, so um, I studied how poliovirus can spread from cell to cell um, by actually hijacking different components of our own cellular machinery, in particular um, a cellular pathway called autophagy, which is a pathway that's involved in cellular cleanup um, and recycling of the proteins in our cells. And that's why I love viruses because they don't they don't infect our cells with all the tools that they have. They really need to take advantage of of things that our own cells have. So the evolution of viruses and other microbes um, with human physiology is is just a really fascinating field. And there's just so much more that we can we can learn there. And so well, while I was oh yeah go ahead. Well, I was going to ask. This isn't what, what not why we're talking today. I, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the gut biome because that's mm -hmm. the area where we've been focused on. But being, being somebody who studies viruses or has an understanding of viruses, what have you been learning or have you been paying attention to the coronavirus? And is there anything that, that you've seen or, or that we've studied so far that's shown that it has, it has been able to morph or been able to evolve in the time that it's been present? Yeah, so I think there's still a lot that we don't know about the coronavirus, but it is really interesting in the field in the current day how quickly we can sequence and how quickly we can actually track the trajectory of viral evolution and really all microbes. And so we have the tools now, it's even advanced since I've been in graduate school where we can really track in real time how these microbes are evolving. And that's really important when we talk about how we're trying to really rapidly develop vaccines. We really need to know what the most up-to-date circulating strain is. And so I know that you know a lot of the scientists and companies that are out there trying to build these vaccines as quickly as possible, they're really gonna take advantage of these um, robust sequencing technologies so that we can understand the latest about the, the genome that is circulating and affecting everyone. And see, the reason why I ask that is because there's been a lot of, with, with the fitness industry having been closed for a number of months, there's been a lot of pushback from people in the industry but the one, my point of view is there's still a lot that we don't know 
about this virus. So it's better to be safe than sorry. Am I correct in that? Is that it's probably a little bit better to to follow the masking guidelines and better since we don't, there's a lot that we don't know about it in terms of how it affects us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's one thing I, I learned from from my dissertation advisor in grad school is, you know, you don't get the flu vaccine for yourself. You get it for your alien grandmother, right? Because we're fortunate. A lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are really health, you know, uh, healthy, fit athletes. Um, maybe most of us won't be getting that sick if we do get exposed to coronavirus, but that doesn't mean you won't be exposed to other people, vulnerable people in the population. And until we really know, you know, the extent of this, it's pretty low hanging fruit to wear a mask and protect other people in society. See, and I think it's just people, it's important for people. I mean, you're a researcher, this is what your field of study. And I just want to ask that question because I want to reinforce that. I know I personally, it's not comfortable wearing a mask to exercise in, mm -hmm. but I, I would rather wear that. Yeah. I did a, did an article on immunology and realize that the mask is part of our becomes part of our immune system. It just helps protect microbes from entering the body. Now, what was that term? I'm going to shift gears and go back to what you said about studying. Is it cell autophagy? Autophagy. So it's autophagy, like autophagy, yeah. which means autophagy. Okay. self eating. Okay. And why is it? What What is that? Talk a little bit about that, because my understanding that plays a very important role in how the cells reproduce or, or for cellular health in our body. Yeah. So you can kind of think of it like in your own house, if you just, just don't ever feel like cleaning your house and just let it kind of get dirty, things pile up, things might start to break down. It's similar inside your cell, the proteins and the other um, components of your cell break down over time. And so you really need a system that cleans it up every now and then goes in there, breaks it back down to its um, components and recycles it so that your cell then has the energy, the space, the ability to generate those new proteins and those new components to keep all the functions of the cell op, um, operating at full capacity. Sorry, I'm going to break in here for just one second. Again, this is a fascinating, fascinating conversation. Hopefully you're not having flashbacks to your high school biology class. I'm an independent content producer. I produce the All About Fitness podcast by myself. And I do that because I try to help you. I want to help you understand the science of exercise so we can use exercise to enhance our quality of life. If you like All About Fitness podcasts, I'm asking for your support one of a couple different ways. One is you can reach down on whatever podcast platform you're listening to and please give the podcast a rating. The more ratings the podcast receives, the higher up in the search rankings it goes. That's one way. It doesn't cost you anything. It takes a few seconds. Just give the please give the podcast a rating and let other people know what you think of All About Fitness so I can help get more listeners and help share the message. Number two is you can go to my, go to my website. And again, I'm going to give you something. If you go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, and sign up for my mailing list, I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. Smarter Workouts is a book I've written. I've been educating personal trainers for more than 15 years. And in Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know about, about fitness so you can design your own exercise programs. So if you go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, I will send you a chapter from Smarter Workouts along with a bodyweight workout that you can do anywhere you can take your body. And I put out two emails a month. And in the emails, I put out blogs. I put out content I've released that will help you understand and help you learn how to use exercise to manage the aging process. Number three is buy a piece of content. I have different content available for sale in the show notes. You can buy a copy of Smarter Workouts. It's produced and published by Human Kinetics. If you want to learn more, if you're, this is a fascinating conversation about the gut biome and how it's working, and you want to learn more about your body, pick up a, comp, a copy of Dynamic Anatomy. Dynamic Anatomy is an ebook I've written 
that helps you understand how your muscles and connective tissues work to help you move. Muscles generate force, connective tissue guides force and controls how, how your body moves. And dynamic anatomy will help you understand more about how, how muscles control your movement so you can determine the best exercises for your needs. So there you go. Those are my asks. Now let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Bird so we can learn more about molecular biology and our gut biome. And now my understanding is, Sarah, is that exercise really helps promote that, correct? Is that exercise really helps promote cell turnover? Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it does. And not just exercise. So in, with exercise, of course, you know, you're training the cell to turn on these different pathways, turn on these different um, functions. So when we're talking about a cellular pathway, we're just talking about a bunch of proteins that come together to interact to perform a specific function. Um, so exercise obviously allows yourself, you know, quote, flex that muscle, get used to making these proteins over and over again. And as you train your body through exercise, your cells then get more efficient at making these proteins, at um, working through these functional pathways. Um, but actually, interestingly enough, another way to turn on autophagy is through fasting. Um, and so, you know, you can think about how nutrition and um, other you know, aspects of your day to day can also have an impact on these pathways. So exercise is important, but there's other ways to um, promote autophagy and other cellular functions. And so that's, OK, that's exactly where I saw that word. And, and I, as a kid, I had to go through a speech therapist when I was young. So there's still certain words that I trip up on. And that is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you say that because going through the literature and I just finished, I'm, I'm right finishing up a book called Ageless Intensity on how high intensity exercise helps slow down the aging process. Mm -hmm. And the two things that in the literature that I saw that can help promote longevity, one is exercise, mm -hmm. but the other one is fasting. So mm -hmm. how does, how does fasting, and, and really this is specifically in, tar, in terms of, was it caloric reduction and severe caloric, yeah, caloric restriction, CR. So you have intermittent fasting, of course, and you, and you have caloric restriction. What, what about that? What, what about that helps promote cellular health or cellular longevity in yeah, terms I, of the prevailing theory right now? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the dogma we have right now, and again, this is I guess the, my kind of theme today will be this is obviously very context dependent and very individual dependent, but overall the idea is that with something like fasting or caloric restriction, uh, you can turn on pathways like autophagy. So that really allows your cells to be in tip top shape, clean themselves up, um, perform optimally. And um, similar, you know, with, with like caloric restriction, if you're overeating, it's sort of the opposite problem. We think of your cells are overburdened, they're overworking, they're having to turn on a lot of different metabolic pathways um, to keep themselves moving. And so by keeping ourselves in a slightly the idea is that by keeping ourselves in a somewhat um, facet or calorically restricted state, we can um, optimize some of these pathways and keep them just tuned correctly. I will say um, as a female and as a female athlete, I've been sort of interested in trying to learn a bit more about the differences in male and female physiology. I did try myself intermittent fasting for um, a few months. I did a popular version called the 16-8. So you're, you eat all your food in an eight hour feeding window, like let's say 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., something like that. Um, there's different ways you can do it. And then I, I was also training at the time and I didn't feel that great doing that. And then I started reading more that perhaps for women that might not be the most optimal um, type of diet to explore. So I think you just have to sort of take the literature also with a grain of salt and think about how it's going to affect you. Try something out. You know, don't be afraid to experiment. Um, well, I, 
I, sorry, I really appreciate you saying that because I've I had a I did an episode a couple um a couple episodes ago about intermittent fasting, and I, I spoke with a with a woman friend of mine who's a nurse, and mm-hmm. she and I had had compared notes. I play with intermittent intermittent fasting on and off. I've kind of gotten off it a little bit the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks with with kids schedules and everything, mm-hmm. but she she had the exact same experience, Doctor Bird, where she was a nurse and she had studied it a little bit, read up on the biology of it, and so she tried it. And she's in her maybe mid to late forties, and she just said for her she didn't think, and, and she thinks that women and males and females have a slightly different reaction to intermittent fasting. So I think it's interesting that that you mentioned that. Is it really? Can it be that gender specific? Can the different genders have a have a reaction to something to a physiological input like that? I mean, we have much different hormonal responses, but then even within women, some women might be, you know, estrogen dominant or progesterone dominant. So it's so hard to generalize. I think that's why it's, you know, like Rob and I will talk today. It's really important to think about things in the context of personalization. So that's why I, you know, for me as a scientist, I, I love just experimenting on myself and just deciding, well, I'm going to ask this question. It's a question that's in the literature. It's a question that's in the health and wellness space. I'm going to try it see how it goes. And if I don't like that protocol, I'm going to tweak it and try something else. So, I mean, to answer your question, I think there are definitely gender differences. I would say if you have any listeners, uh, especially female athletes, I would point them to Dr. Stacy Sims. She's someone I've really paid a lot of attention to. Um, she came from Stanford and um, she's a professor in New Zealand right now. And she really focuses a lot on the physiological differences between male and female athletes and how women can really optimize nutrition and performance by taking advantage of their own physio- physiological differences. So I've learned a lot from her, but even with, from what she said, I still take it to my, my own practice and, you know, try things out myself. Yeah. Well, I love and- the fact that you say that because one of the things I always point out on here, especially when speaking with people with PhDs, is in my experience, PhDs really don't like to give specific information or specific answers because you don't really know because everybody's going to have a slightly different reaction. And that brings me to to what your company does because when I read about what Viome does, I was intrigued by it because what exactly what exactly does Viome do? Because I think it's really important for people to understand that we can't get we cannot in the fitness space and we talk about nutrition, it's really difficult to give an individual answer. And that's really why I thought what you guys do is very intriguing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Sarah, and I think she's waiting <laughs> for me to jump in on this one. Uh, yeah. So, Pete, at a high level, you know what Viome is doing, and this is why you and I started to chat is we can look at what your cells are doing at a molecular level, and this is the first time we've been able to do this. And and why this is important, especially for athletes, is if you can understand what your mitochondria are doing. How well are they dividing? How well are they functioning? How well are they responding to stress? You know, these are the powerhouse of the cell that is going to greatly impact your recovery, your energy levels, and your physical performance, um, top to bottom. And so what Viome does is we have the technology to look at any cell in the body and understand what it is that it's doing. So your human immune cells, so think white blood cells and neutrophils and macrophages and all that type of stuff, along with your mitochondria, and then in addition to your microbiome, which are you know trillions of bacteria in your gut. Uh, that, by the way, going back to the hormones discussion, your microbiome is producing copious amounts of hormones like testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and neurotransmitters, like 90% of your serotonin is produced in the microbiome. Um, and so 
that's what we're doing as an organization and, and why you and I got connected, Pete, is because uh, more and more athletes over the last two years have started to reach out to us because they're excited about the prospect that if you can understand how your cells are functioning, then you can make really precise nutrition and supplement interventions, and then you can dramatically improve physical performance. And so I think that's how you and I originally got connected is, uh, is just chatting about that. Well, absolutely. And I think that's fascinating because there is, I mean, there's that, there, there's, there's that famous Ted talk. And I know you guys go into detail on this with, with how you apply it, but we're really learning a lot more about the gut biome that is basically, it has its own physiology system or its own kind of its own nervous system. Am I, am I correct in that? I mean, I know you're a cellular biologist, Dr. Bird, but really, can you explain a little bit more about what the gut biome is and why it's so important to our, how we function? Oh yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, I don't want to assume, you know, what your listeners do or don't know, but just for, if anyone hasn't ever heard of the microbiome, um, it's, it's the collection of all the genomes of the microbes that are in and on your body. And so we talk about the gut microbiome, which is what biomes, um, has been primarily focused on, but microbiome is also found in your nose and your saliva and your skin and really all over your body. It's just that these microbes live everywhere. Um, but there's a lot of them in the gut, trillions of them, in fact. And something that I find really fascinating is, so humans, we have around 20,000 genes. The microbes that live in your gut have 100 times the number of genes, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And so if you remember back to you know uh, high school biology, a gene makes RNA, which then becomes a protein, and the proteins are what go and perform some sort of function in your body. And so you can imagine if your microbiome has a hundred times the number of genes, that's a lot of possible proteins that are having different impacts in our body, um, responding to our own cells, um, having a lots of impacts um, on our health and wellness. And so, yeah, the, the microbes they play a large role um, on our, our health, our diet. Um, you know, you're you can think about when you, when you get a stomach ache or you get some bloating, you get some gas, it's a good chance that's um, to do with your microbiome responding to something you've, you've um, consumed. Um, microbes use components of our own diet for their benefit. Um, they're really instrumental in our weight management. Uh, this is, there's some really interesting studies in this area, actually. So um, in one study in particular, um, a group took um, the microbiomes of a set of twins. One twin was skinny and one twin was obese. And they took their gut microbiomes and transplanted them into mice. And the mouse that got the um, obese microbiome became obese and the mouse got skinny microbiome, stayed skinny. So just the, by changing the microbes and not changing anything about the food that had an impact on weight. So that's pretty um, striking. And then Rob touched on you know, hormones. So a lot of hormones are um, made by the microbiome in the gut. And there's actually a um, nerve system, the vagus nerve that um, goes between the gut and the brain. So there's a lot of signaling molecules between the microbes and our brain. So that you can imagine that has a large impact on our mood. Um, and the other thing I think that's just really interesting about the gut microbiome is that it's not static. These aren't mm. our genes. It's a set of microbes, so they can change over time. So that's why it's really fascinating to think, okay, well, if I just try changing my diet and then I notice I feel different, I notice I'm more bloated, I notice I'm less bloated, I have better mood, I'm sleeping better. That's probably because you've now actually caused changes in the composition of your microbiome. So I think that's really interesting. And that's why it's a really um, fascinating area of study because there's so much still to learn about that. 
Well, and, just because you mentioned, sorry, real quick, Rob, but you yep. mentioned serotonin is meant, is is made in the gut, and serotonin is one of those feel good neurotransmitters, right? It's kind of like the, one of the feel good serotonin and dopamine. Is that why sometimes people can tend to overeat, or they eat in terms of feeling better? They eat in terms of compensating for their mood. Is that that's that correlation there of they're feeding they're feeding those genes which could produce serotonin in the gut? Is that is that how those like could be linked together? Yeah, that's one way. I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors at, at play there, um, but definitely the fact that you have a connection directly between your gut and your brain, it's going to have a big impact on your mood when, and your mood is going to affect your eating patterns. No, that's it. That's fascinating. What were you going to say, Rob? Sorry. So just on that last point, I mean, your brain is sending nine times as many, or sorry, your gut is sending nine times as many signals to your brain as your brain is sending to your gut. So there's a lot more going north than is going south. Um, but what I was going to point out and, and ask Sarah to touch on is, do you remember the study uh, of the Boston marathoners and the, the differences in their microbiome in higher amounts of microbes that break down lactic acid at the yeah. end of the training regimen. So training actually has an impact on uh, your microbiome and specifically related to improving performance. Yeah, I can't remember the specifics, but I know there was a, a marathon study and actually a, an endurance cyclist study. Um, and they just looked at the, those two different groups, the two separate studies. So I would encourage your listeners to, to Google those. But yeah, it's showing that there's actually little changes that occur before and after really intense endurance um, exercise. Um, and those changes are seen in your microbiome, which is really fascinating. And that's what I was going to, one of the questions I want to ask is what can have more impact on that? Can, can exercise really impact the what's happening in our gut? Or is it what we eat? Obviously, what we eat is digested by the microbiome and is that digested by the components of our intestines. But then exercise also places the stress on the body, which can initiate cellular change. So which could have a greater impact in terms of our internal functioning? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one to answer. I, I would say that it both are important and context matters. But I think to your point, I mean, exercise is obviously very critical to cellular health. Um, the more we exercise, the better we, we, we you know, um, improve our metabolic pathways. So uh, breaking down fats, carbs, proteins, all those macros, um, utilizing, um, you know, utilizing these, these macros for um, our overall enzymatic function and turnover. Um, you know, another way to think about it, you know, your body's like a car. You don't want to leave your car sitting in your front of your house for a few months. The more you use it, um, it's going to perform better. So just like if you never exercise, um, your cellular functions might get a little rusty. So exercise can really help improve those cellular functions, make them more efficient. And then the flip side, we, we obviously understand the importance of nutrition in our overall health. You know, you need those protein, fats, carbs, those vitamins, those minerals, those are actual components of your cell and of those processes. So you need those items to, those components to, um, you know, work those cellular processes. Um, but I think, you know, both are really important. Um, and the other thing I would mention is recovery and sleep. That's something I'm really interested in right now. In the last few years, I've been paying a lot more attention to. So I wouldn't ever forget that in this context as well, regardless of if, you know, you're exercising a lot or not, um, you do a lot of recovery um, in the time that you sleep. And then just for my own personal anecdotes, you know, when I was in my teens and 20s, I was an athlete who didn't really think about nutrition at all. I was just like, yeah, it's food. You got to eat when you eat when you're hungry. I don't know. Just didn't really pay attention to it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm not saying I do it differently now. It's just, it is what it, what it is. I know a lot more now, but I remember very vividly early in college, 
playing club field hockey and just having no energy was not performing well because I was just not eating well. I just didn't have a good relationship with food at that time in my life. Uh, I started to get into endurance sports and it kind of, you know, showed my hand. I had to eat more. I had to eat better because I was bonking all the time. I mean, you've probably been on rides where you, you know, that bonking feeling. I mean, it's, it's awful. Um, and once you kind of realize how to use, well, at least once I realized how to use food as fuel, it, it really changed my relationship with that. And it's now I'm much more focused on, you know, really dialing in my nutrition and making sure I pay attention to how it makes me feel, how it affects my sleep. And even though I don't have as much time to train anymore, I'm noticing that when I do train, I respond way faster. And so I think you need both. And um, hopefully, you know, professional athletes, they have the time to pay attention. Some of us who are working don't, but if you can carve out the time to pay attention to nutrition and dial in some of that exercise, and then also, of course, focus on your recovery, that's like a, that's a pretty good package. You can um, get a lot out of that. Well, and I think that's where we're learning a lot more about what to do after we exercise. Because I think for years, we were focused so much on, hey, we're going to exercise for 60, 90, whatever many minutes. Now, I want to say this for listeners, because I've, I've read your bio and we, we emailed about this, but you're a cat one cyclist, right? And you're a competitive triathlete. So I want to kind of qualify that. So you're, you're talking about this from performing at a pretty high level. And do you have, you mentioned that you do this. Have you been able to use, been apply the, the science that you've been learning mm -hmm. to your training programs? Is that been something that you've had some fun with over the years? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially I would say I've been working on the microbiome in the last three years and in the last three years is when I've started paying the most attention to my nutrition, just cause I've just learned a lot of really interesting things, um, in the profession that I'm, that I'm in, um, more recently, couldn't do a lot of events this year with COVID. I'm sure your athletes yeah, are, are in the yeah, same are the to. same boat. But yeah. I did some, you know, self events um, this year with with some friends, um, mostly endurance riding. And so, um, yeah, I was able to do um, an eight day uh, biking trip with my friends from Portland to San Francisco this summer. Um, and I created my own training program. I dialed in all my nutrition and hydration for each ride um, and completed that with, you know, no bonk, something I know I couldn't have done a few years ago because I just really wasn't dialed into what my body really needed. Um, and I, of course, was also able to do that in the context of um, the Viome app, which was able to show me the kind of um, specific foods that are that work well for my biology and avoid the foods that don't work that great for me and so by really paying attention to how I feel um, how I'm sleeping um, how I'm able to train with the foods I'm eating uh, it's made a big difference for me now I want to ask you about that in a second but there's something I want to come back to about genes about you you mentioned that we can change our genes and my understanding is genes are relatively set, but is that more the genes in our body and I think you're referring to the genes of the specific microbiome, um, of the of the gut biome of the of the microbes in the gut biome is that correct? Because my thought was that genes are relatively like you're you're born with the genes that you have, yes. but how much can we influence the genetic makeup in our body as we go through as we age or as we you know, yeah, throughout no, life? yeah so we don't change our genes although controversial topic if we want to talk about CRISPR, <laughs> but um, no so we don't change our genes really but um, but epigenetics and gene expression are what's really key here. And I, that's what's really unique about um, Biome's technology is that we 
aren't just looking at, we aren't looking at what genes you have. We're looking at what genes you're expressing. And so that's, what's really interesting. We're trying to optimize the genes that you're expressing. Um, if you, cause you know, you and I may have the same genes, but, um, or largely the same genes, but we look very different. That's because we have small different mutations in our genes, but also because we're expressing them differently. Um, just the same way that, you know, you, have um, eye cells and skin cells and kidney cells. You know, these are different types of cells. They all have the same DNA, but they're expressing different types of genes. Uh, and that's in the form of RNA. And then of course that RNA goes on to make protein. And so what we're doing is measuring the expression of the RNA um, and figuring out what pathways are turned on or turned off um, as it may be. So, so that's just, uh, oh. sorry, Rob, go ahead. So I was gonna give just another example of this to kind of make it concrete. You do a 23andMe test, and it tells you that you have the APOE gene, which some listeners may be familiar with, uh, predisposes you more likely to get Alzheimer's as you age. Now, everybody who has that gene may not necessarily get Alzheimer's in their old age. The question of whether or not they get Alzheimer's is, is a function of, is that gene expressed? Um, and what Sarah's pointing out is, we can now see that, and more importantly, through epigenetics, we can look at how can you impact the expression or non-expression of a particular gene? And that is how we ultimately will change health and, uh, you know, impact physical performance and that type of stuff. So that really, that's what your testing does. Your testing really allows you to take a look, take a snapshot at kind of what genes are functioning and how you can. And then with that information, you mentioned that you have an app, Sarah, how do you do that? I mean, how does the test work? That, that was one of the questions I had was how does you, how does your testing work? Is it a blood test? I mean, how do you get the, the information? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start with the first half of that. And then maybe Rob can take the second half. So yeah, so you, you'd order a Viome um, kit online. They come in a, a couple of different flavors. Uh, we have our gut intelligence test, which is a stool-based test. And then we also have our health intelligence test, which is a stool plus blood test. And so you just send your sample back to the laboratory um, where we perform this, uh, R, what's called RNA sequencing, where we're looking at the expression of what genes are both in your microbes. And also if you're doing the HI test, but also in your cells, uh, which is really interesting because it gives a really complete picture of not just what the microbes are doing, uh, but what your cells are doing and how they're performing as well. And so we then, um, after doing this sequencing, transform your results into a set of recommendations. Um, and those recommendations get pushed to your app, which end up telling you the kinds of foods you want to eat or avoid, and also what supplements you should take to um, optimize um, the expression. And you can just track that. That's, that's amazing. I mean, it's always, it's amazing to me what we can track on our phones. And so how do, how does the testing work, Rob? I mean, do I, you do collect it, you don't collect this stuff at home or do you go into a lab? I mean, how does that, obviously when you're talking about stool and blood samples, they'd probably need to be collected a specific way for the best, uh, for the best data analysis, right? Uh, collected a specific way and collected separately. I always tell people don't mix them together, uh, which is important. <laughs> I, would hope, I would hope not. <laughs> uh, and the reason I tell people that, Pete, is because they are, it's an at-home test. So all of okay. this stuff comes directly to your house and What's fascinating is that four years ago, this was a $5,000 test that you had to go to a lab to get done. And today, for less than 400 you can get this done at home and have it turned around in two weeks. Um, and so the, the test themselves, just for an X's and O's explanation, is a very simple stool collection at home. Um, I'm going to also preface this by saying, for listeners, less is more. Um, we've seen people <laughs> overdo this. Um, 
and then the the blood test is simply a finger prick um okay that that takes about two minutes to do uh and then both those things are put into a prepaid envelope and mailed straight back to the lab and then within you know two three weeks later uh you have all of your results and then as sarah pointed out once we've created this digital scan of the body okay here's what your mitochondria are doing here's what your immune cells are doing here's what your microbiome is doing okay now here is a comprehensive list of the foods that are absolutely great for you, uh, foods that you should be minimizing, and then, and by the way, healthy foods that you should be minimizing or healthy foods that you should be avoiding, and then a long list of supplements as well that, that might also improve your cellular function. Well, it's interesting because the reason why I asked that, I did a blood test a couple of years ago to find out what foods I might be intolerant to and changed my diet a little bit based on that because at that point I was eating a lot of broccoli and then the, the blood test indicated I probably shouldn't be eating as much. And that, that really did, did have an impact. And one of the reasons why this fascinated me and why I wanted to speak with you guys, just for listeners, is because for years, I've always advocated training the way that professional athletes train in terms of movement, in terms of conditioning, in terms of how we look at recovery. And I've known that for years, you know, you mentioned these tests used to be thousands of dollars. And I've known that for years, you have elite athletes that can afford it, would do these kind of gut bio, you know, bioanalysis to identify the most effective means for what they should be doing. And that's why I wanted to, for listeners to be aware that if you really are trying to optimize your health, these tests are now relatively available and they give you a lot of good data. And, and one of the questions I want to ask is, you've mentioned mitochondria a couple of times. Just to go back to, again, I, I don't want to assume what my listeners know, because like me, sometimes I hear these words. I hear RNA. I hear, I hear mitochondria. And I have flashbacks to 10th grade biology and Mrs. Brown. And, and, and Mrs. Brown, bless her heart, was not my favorite teacher in high school. So I sometimes <laughs> hear these words. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I, get the, I get the freeze up a little bit of 10th grade biology. But what, what are you, you mentioned that the powerhouses of the cell, and I have another question about cellular function, but talk a little bit about Sarah, if you will, about what the function of mitochondria do and why we should be paying attention to our mitochondrial health. Yeah, no, I, I also have some very scary flashbacks to <laughs> high school and college <laughs> biology, especially with respect to mitochondria, but no, they are really important. Um, they generate all of our energy. You probably remember this molecule called ATP. Um, Thankfully, I don't have to memorize the Krebs cycle and glycolysis anymore. Um, but these are what the mitochondria do. They, they um, you know, take your nutrients and convert them into ATP through these different cycles. And so they are incredibly important. And it's why, you know, eating optimally is important. So you support mitochondrial functions. Um, but exercise is really great for mitochondria because the mitochondria need oxygen along with other nutrients. So the more oxygen you give them, the more efficient they are at generating that ATP, the more mitochondria you'll actually be able to create. So there's a lot of mitochondria in our muscle tissue. So that's why usually athletes have lots of mitochondria because we work on building our muscles and flexing those muscles through our different exercises. Um, and so, yeah, so exercise is absolutely great for mitochondrial health and we need mitochondria to exercise, right? So um, they're really critical um, um, for athletes. Well, and this is what, why, what, go ahead. Go ahead I was going to say, Pete, and, and you and I chatted about this earlier. This is the reason that creatine is probably the most popular supplement out there after maybe whey protein is it produces larger and more robust mitochondria. I mean, that's what you're doing is you're creating mitochondrial biogenesis to have more mitochondria, allowing you mm -hmm. to ultimately lift more, be stronger, be faster. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Mitochondria is the key. 
Well, and that's just it. For people, creatine monophosphate is one of, because creatine monophosphate forms with adenosine diphosphate, right, to create adenosine triphosphate, which is actually the molecule used for energy. So when we creatine load, we're doing one of two things. We're number one, giving ourselves, my understanding is we're giving ourselves more energy, but number two, we're increasing muscle volume because we're allowing the cells to store more water. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons why if you take creatine, the recommendation is to drink a lot of water. Am I, am I right with the biology on that? Yeah, that's how I understand as well. And um, I was just telling Pete and Rob before this call that I've just started my own weightlifting program about four weeks ago. I've never taken creatine as a supplement myself, but it might be an interesting experiment to try to see if it has an impact on muscle volume for myself personally. Well, let me ask you, because you're, you're an endurance athlete. So most of yeah. your training was probably long, long distance cycling. Exactly. What, what type of weight training are you do and how is your body responding to that? Yeah, I'm, I've been doing really heavy squats and deadlifts, um, bench presses, um, overhead press, a lot of the compound movements, um, just worked on getting my one rep maxes done last week. This is completely uncharted territory for me. I don't know if your other endurance athletes can relate, but when I used to have a cycling coach, I would dread the gym days because I was worried that when I'd get too sore, I couldn't then go hit those intervals later in the week. So I don't think I ever really pushed myself in the gym like I should have. And now I don't have a lot to train for race wise and cycling. So I thought, why not, you know, try to push myself in the gym? Cause we all know that strength training long-term is, is really beneficial. It's doing those load bearing exercises is good for bone health um, and just overall health in general. And like we just discussed, it's really great for building muscle and helping build that mitochondrial health. So it's been a really interesting um, last few weeks to see the adaptations. And I'm curious to see, you know, in a few months what the cycling volume, endurance volume picks back up. Um, if I'm able to translate some of those um, muscle gains into endurance gains as well. well Sarah, I have a question for you out of, yeah. out of pure curiosity. With your, these new compound movements, are you focused more on eccentric movements as opposed to concentric to kind of minimize any, any mass or, or weight gain so that you can stay light with the additional power or am I overthinking this? You know, I'm going into this completely open-minded. I have a coach and I'm following his program. So I'm building up at you know high reps and then going down to low reps, higher weight and over a 12 week period. And so I'm going to see how that goes. And if that goes well, or we need to switch things up, I'll start that over and, and try it in a different way. So I'm really open to, just learning what, how my body responds. Cause for me, this is, you know, pretty new. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to remember to follow up with you on that. Yeah, because please I, do. Years ago, years ago, I worked with a woman. She was a, um, she, she was a track athlete. She was a um, SEC. So she was an SEC high jumping champion from LSU. She was at LSU on a track scholarship and she was a high jump champion one year in the SEC. So let's just say she was an explosive athlete. I think if you're doing it at that level, you're probably a type two muscle fiber, explosive dominant athlete. And she trained for a marathon one year. She trained for the Marine Corps marathon in DC. And I have to tell you, Dr. Bird, she said it was the most miserable time she ever spent in her life because she, <laughs> she is a sprinter and explosive. And she's like, Oh my, she, and she was, uh, I think she was from, uh, I think she was from East Af Africa. I think she was either Ethiopian or Eritrean. I forget from where, which you would think is they're normally associated with distance runners, mm -hmm. but she was an explosive athlete. And she said that was the hardest challenge for her was shifting her focus from being explosive to being endurance oriented. So are you having that similar sort of, in the few weeks that you've been weight training, you've primarily been a type one endurance oriented athlete mm -hmm. and now going to weight training, you're activating more of the type two fibers. And then I'll have a question about that after that. So do you notice that difference in terms of how your muscles are responding? 
I haven't really had a chance to translate it on the road yet. I will just say that I feel sore enough that I wouldn't even feel comfortable trying anything explosive. And uh, any of my teammates or ever former teammates ever listening to this, they'll know, and they will first to tell you, I'm not an explosive athlete. I can't sprint my way out of a paper bag. Um, (laughs) I am much more just a kind of steady climber. Um, But I'm really interested to see how that might translate. Maybe doing these kinds of movements um, would would help um, sprint technique or sprint abilities later. Not that I will ever be a sprinter, but why not, you know, spend some time working on your weaknesses, right? Well, and that's exactly it. But then let's look at muscle metabolism, because when you look at strength training, strength training, you mentioned glycolysis earlier. And for listeners, glycolysis is the breakdown of glycogen or carbohydrate into ATP, mm-hmm. what our muscles use for, for cellular energy. And one of the things that occurred to me while I was writing, while I've been writing my book, is that as people get older, traditionally as we age, our focus has been shifted from the weight room more to doing more quote unquote age appropriate activities. But one of the major issues with aging is onset diabetes, correct? I mean, oh. I, I mean, that's one of the major issues. But then what it, what occurred to me is if we continue strength training throughout the aging process, then we continue with our type two with muscle fiber and our glycolysis. We continue with proper optimal glycogen metabolism. Am, am I accurate in that? Am I thinking about that properly? Yeah, I mean, muscle um, people who have more muscle are usually more um, have a faster metabolism. Muscle burns a lot of calories. Um, I think another way to think about it is um, how to create an environment for yourself where you're more metabolically flexible, meaning that you can take those carbs when you need them and use them for fuel, but you can also use fats for fuel during different times. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that you creating muscle, building muscle throughout. Um, your life, and especially as you age, is going to be really optimal um, for your overall health. Because, yeah, I mean, mitochondria are important for as we age, but they're primarily in the type 1 muscle fibers or type 1 muscle cells, correct? Yeah, and I think you just brought up a good point is aging. Um, you know, it's not just mitochondria, our cells age. So as everything ages, we see it externally, but internally at the microscopic level, your cells are aging too. And so it's going to be more and more important to think of ways to optimize those functions, um, make sure that you keep them as all your cells as healthy as possible and keep the functions um, working as optimally as possible. And that's one of the things that your testing can do, right, is help you identify because that way, if, if I'm in my for, late 40s, well, I am in my late 40s. So if I'm in my late 40s and I'm looking to optimize my health, then I'll obviously be able to identify what my gut biome is doing is, is one important step in that, correct? Yeah, your gut microbiome and your cellular health. Um, so, you know, with our HI test, we give you a score called your biological age. And so it's a way to compare your chronological age to your biological age. And so your, your biological age being how old are, is your, your body based on how optimal and how well all of the functions in your cells, um, how well they're all functioning. Um, and, you know, some are better than others. It's, it's really interesting that um, our CEO actually has a, he followed his biome results and recommendations for a few months and um, retested and his uh, biological age is 11 years less than his chronological age. Now, which now is- I want to point out that in addition to the to Pete's point about how important exercise is, and, and our CEO is in his late 50s, um, in addition 
his exercise regimen went through the roof. So he was mm-hmm. walking 10 to 15 miles every day for the first six weeks of COVID during this testing period. That's, yeah, no, you're right. He increased his exercise. So I think his, his diet was still pretty good, but he added a lot more exercise. And that was the main change for him and where he able to, to see that major reverse in, a, in its biological age, which is really fascinating. Well, and that's where I think, see, that that's the thing. What I've tripped up on in putting this research together, then we'll be wrapping up the interview here is that this is the first time, if you think about it, Dr. Bird, that the the modern fitness industry started about the year, I was born in 1972. So -hmm. the modern fitness industry started in the early 70s. And Nautilus, one of the companies I work with, was started in 1970. And that kind of helped with the emergence of the health and fitness market. So now you have people in their 60s and 70s who've been exercising throughout their lifespan. Whereas before 15, 20 years ago, if you're trying to study older adults, the biology of older adults, a majority or population of older adults were relatively sedentary, relatively inactive, right? And so now this is the first time. Have you started to see the change in literature that reflects this? Have you started noticing any of those differences? I don't know if I've seen it in the literature, but I think what I have noticed is thinking about this, um, the whole context of, you know, of health. So like you said, we know the importance of exercise, but pulling back to what we talked about in the beginning, it's exercise in the context of your optimal nutrition in the context of optimal sleep and recovery. And I think you can't just pay attention to one, you can't, um, and ignore the others. And, you know, we're just learning so much more about this every day. I think what's really powerful right now that I've just seen the last few years is how we're putting that power for studying that in the consumer's pocket. And I'll just give you a really brief example. Um, Both Rob and I, no affiliation, we both use a product called the Aura Ring to track our sleep. Um, I love it because maybe just the nerdy scientist in me, but I love getting data where I can track progress or track what's going on on a day-to-day basis with how I'm sleeping. Um, And so that's just one example of the tools that individuals have now. Um, You also have ways to track, you know, your macros and your nutrition, you know, on apps, you have ways to track your fitness, like on Strava. And then you have people who are building tools to integrate all these together and to see how you're improving or how things change over time. And so, um, you know, I think literature is, is one component because we look at, we do studies with individuals and we can see what changes over the population. But I also want to point out that there's a lot of power in doing studies on yourself and really figuring out how it works for you. And we have the tools where you can just be your own scientist and ask these questions and, and optimize your own health and wellness over time. Well, that's exactly. And, and again, I go back to Years ago, when I was working with clients full time, and they'd ask me, well, why aren't we using strength training machines? And I'd always explain to them, well, pro- professional athletes don't train like that. You know, yeah. professional athletes train movement, they train metabolism, they, they do all that stuff. And I want to train you like a professional athlete. You might, you might be an attorney, you might be whatever, mm-hmm. but I still want you because professional athletes use the best tools and the best technology. And that's why I wanted to speak with you guys, because understanding what's going on in our gut has been something that the pro athletes been using for what, about the past decade or so, maybe a little bit, maybe give or take. And give or take. Yeah. Probably not much too longer than that, but yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's only been that time that we've really had a much better understanding that it's our microbiome that can really influence, influence a lot of the systems in our body. But now you mentioned like the, the aura of the sleep ring. And I think Amazon just recently bought that or has recently come out with something uh, competitive. I interviewed with, uh, I, I spoke with uh, the people that developed eight sleep and I don't know if you've heard of eight sleep, 
but it's a mattress that can mattress, track your, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a mattress that, that does your temperature control. So here you go. Now people can be, whereas, you know, professional athletes, what we hear, LeBron James spends more than a million dollars a year on his fitness. And you may not have access to that, but you're talking about, you can do a Viome kit for less than a couple of you for a couple hundred dollars, you can do a Viome kit. You can buy a mattress now where you can track your sleep habits in your mattress. You can wear Apple Watch and, and yep. Apple Watch, a new version of Apple Watch actually has a sleep tracking function on it as well. And this is all really, you know, th- as a biologist, does this make you excited now that we can kind of really see how we can manipulate what the, the body does? So excited. I'm so excited that I'm in this field because I can't even imagine what the next one to five years is going to look like. There's just so many tools out there. And like you said, they're becoming way more accessible, partly just because the costs are coming down. And so the more people try it, the more they tell their friends about it. And the more data we also get collectively to learn about every individual. So you get individual data, but that also helps get, you know, better population data. And so Oura Ring, for example, does studies. They did a COVID study to see if you can track and, or figure out when someone might be getting COVID based on their body temperature spiking before they show symptoms, right? And so we're able to actually collect data and learn things in real time because we're all kind of using this technology together and figuring new things out. Well, that was exactly what I saw. There's there's a the thermometer out there that people have been buying. And what they were seeing is they were seeing the spikes in the home thermometer readings. It's a smart thermometer and the company was seeing the spike in the reading before you'd have a spike at the hospitals. And one of the things I'll say about COVID is that I think when we really look back at the data in another year or two years, when we've had time to really analyze the data, it's the people that that focus on their health, that, that pay attention to what they eat, they look at the recovery, they get optimal sleep, that if they got affected by the coronavirus or COVID, they had a much, it was a much less impact on their body versus people that weren't. I think we're really going to see a differentiation, a split between the healthy and the unhealthy population. Do you think that's going to be something that we see? Oh, 100%. I think the, those who have metabolic flexibility, like we talked about, um, they're going to probably bounce back from this way more quickly than those who you know aren't. And so again, to your earlier point, it's about trying to find ways to keep us all healthy. Um, you know, wear your mask in public if you can. And uh, yeah, also work on improving your own health. It's, you know, you can only work on yourself, right? So make sure you keep yourself as healthy as possible. So that way, if you do get exposed to the virus, you'll be able to fight it off as best you can. Cool. And then what kind of testing kits do you guys offer? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you have a health and you have a performance, but what, what testing kits do you guys offer? And just for listeners, they've agreed to give me a, we're going to do a code. So you guys, if you want to try this, you guys can do a, a what, 10% off of one of these kits. So Rob, talk a little bit about what testing kits you guys have. Yeah. So as uh, Sarah pointed out earlier, we have uh, two tests at this point, uh, more coming down the, the pipeline as we point these tools at, at additional cellular function. But for right now, we have uh, what I call our Mac Daddy test. This is our health intelligence service. This looks at everything. This looks at mitochondrial function, human uh, immune cell function, and your microbiome and pieces all of that together. And so that's the test where you're doing a stool test, you're doing a blood test. Uh, we're seeing all of those components. And the way that we give you those results back is you're getting 30 uh, pathway expression scores. So like, what is your inflammation? What is your cellular senescence? How are your cells responding to stress? Um, all of those. And then you're also getting the, the food recommendations and the supplement recommendations as well, which are just raw ingredients uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, if you just wanted the gut intelligence test, that is an option as well. That's the uh, less expensive option. And that gives you a, you know, it's the most comprehensive 
microbiome test on the market. And we've sequenced more people than anybody, which is also very helpful for understanding this, this complex system. And so as the more tests you do, you get more data and then you're able to get more, give more accurate information. Is that kind of how that works as well? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've sequenced over 125,000 people at this point. We've partnered with Mayo Clinic. We've partnered with United Health and GSK, who's the world leader in vaccine creation, Kaiser, uh, among many others. So yes, we've, we've looked at a lot of people and, and those numbers continue to grow exponentially, which, you know, in the, in the age of big data uh, is an AI uh, that is critical. That's interesting because yeah, that that and I think it's going to be the that's going to be the next thing, right? Is it's going to be telling us what we should be looking at our data over the last 30, 60, 90 days, and then feeding forward. And I may or may not be speaking with an app company, but it's putting some of this stuff together. So it's interesting that you uh, that you reference that. A good buddy of mine is looking at putting together an app company, and that'd be coming in as their as their fitness guy. So that's like we're we're still in the early phases of that. So that's nice. kind of interesting to take a take a look at. Because there's so much out there, it really is exciting to see this. So Dr. Bird, do you have any recommendation, any final recommendation on what people can do if they just want to start paying more attention to their gut biome and, and just start experimenting with themselves? Like, what are some simple little experiments? Maybe what's a simple little thing? Just mm-hmm. could they do like an elimination diet to pay attention mm-hmm. to their gut biome? What, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, how... I don't say how brave you are, but how, you know, how much time you have and how much you're willing to, to do it. What, what kind of cued it, it in for me was I tried the whole 30 a few years ago. That one's a bit, can be a bit challenging, but it could be a good place to start or at least read about it. Um, it's sort of like a paleo diet, but slightly more stringent. And for me, that just helped me understand my relationship with sugar because you really can't eat sugar on that diet. So that was really instrumental for me, but you could do a lot of different um, types of approaches. I've I've tried keto cycling um, to see what the effect it would have on my mood and brain fog. And that was um, really interesting. A few of us at Biome embarked on a, a carnivore diet experiment that had less than ideal results. <laughs> that one, that's not for the faint of heart, I think. Um, but I would just say, just go ahead and try. I think the best thing you can do is just uh, pay attention to how you feel. If you don't feel great, just write down what did I have for lunch like oh I didn't sleep well tonight what did I have like how late did I eat did I have alcohol before I went to sleep just start taking some notes and just pay attention that would that's all I would my you know main piece of advice is just kind of be a scientist take notes ask a question and try to figure out how to test your hypothesis and and go from there and you'll be surprised what you can learn and pay attention oh uh, the last thing I was going to add is is pay attention to the specifics because one of the things that the, all the testing I've done pointed out was I shouldn't be eating white rice and I should be eating copious amounts of sweet potato, which I was avoiding like the plague prior to that. And changing nothing else, that little tweak took me from 14% down to 10% body fat over about six weeks. So these little tweaks, even within a, you know, a specific macro, do tend to make a big di- or can make a big difference, I should say. Well, and that's where, no, that, that's where I think this stuff really, the more I learn about it, the more fascinated I am about it is because the body really will react to one or two simple little inputs if you take that out of the system. Now, the last question, you brought up sugar. How does sugar affect, I know this might be a big question as we're wrapping up here, but how does sugar affect the biome? Because my understanding is sugar can kind of cause cells to have a whole different reaction than other types of carbohydrate that may be more complex, as Rob mentioned, like the sweet potatoes and the more complex starches. How does sugar does it have, well, does it have an effect on the, in the, on the biome and how does it affect it? Have you seen any, have we seen anything in that? 
Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be again, probably person specific and and context specific. Um, In particular, we do know that certain artificial sweeteners, like the ones in Diet Coke, like I think it's aspartame, do have a negative impact on the microbiome. Um, Don't get me wrong. I, you know, love a cold Diet Coke every now and then. So, you know, just you be mindful of that. But with sugar, it's a lot of it is these types of sugar we see in those standard American diet, which is usually mixed with um, processed seed oils. And so, you know, it's, there's going to be some impacts, but also just keep in mind, it's going to be very context dependent depending on what else you're having in your diet. So I would just say, try it, see how it makes you feel, do a test before, do a test after, see what composition changes do occur along with how you're actually feeling. Um, I know for me, it, it made a big impact on my skin, on my mood, um, my energy levels and how I was sleeping. And so that was enough, you know, positive reinforcement for me to cut back on my sugar, but I still have sugar. I just don't have as much and just cutting back has made a big impact for me. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't drink alcohol and I haven't had a drink in, in a number of years. And, but I still, I'm, I find that's the, and I try to clean up my diet, but sugar is like the one that's like the, the heroin. That's like the, the I'm slapping the vein in my arm well, <laughs> that I know at some yeah, point that I need, with, to, I need to. Exactly. I think athletes maybe take that with a grain of salt. Like if I'm, you know, three hours into a ride, I don't really worry about pounding down some sugar. Like it's just not, yeah. it's not a, Gonna, I, don't, I don't stress about that. So definitely it's con- context dependent for sure. And, and we, we email back and forth a little bit about it. I'm a mountain biker. So, and, yeah. but the interesting thing is that I do notice paying attention to this. I do, I, when I do pay attention to my diet and I do, and I do reduce the sugar, there's a mountain right down the street from my house that always, my gauge is how long does it take me to get up the hill? Usually mm-hmm. about 40 minutes from, from my front door to the top of the hill. And it's maybe three and a half miles. 40 minutes is a good day. If I don't sleep well, if my if my nutrition is off, if there if if there's some variable that I haven't paid attention to, it'll take me 46 to 48 minutes. I add like it's just I notice that I'm walking up those steep steep parts of the hill. So it's interesting how mm-hmm. for, so for listeners, if you pay attention to this stuff, it re, you will notice it will really have an effect on your workout. So everything from sleep to nutrition and cycling. The one thing I like about cycling, we'll finish up with this, and maybe Dr. Bird, you can agree is if you're doing a distance, if you're doing 20 miles, 30 miles, whatever your distance is, that input stays the same. Everything else, your sleep, your nutrition can affect that. I mean, is that one of the cool things about cycling is that you can see kind of measure your performance day in, day out, because you know the distance is going to be relatively the same, but you can tweak those other variables to see how you feel with it, right? Exactly. And that's why I'm also kind of passionate about looking at that in the context of, of female athletes too, because we also have the time of the month and different hormones at play, uh, you know, working against us or for us too. And that's why it's also good to have a coach and talk through not just how the workout went, but all those other factors. So you can have someone else help you try to figure out what might be going on. No, I think that's some great insight. Well, Rob Pillow and uh, Dr. Sarah Bird, I really appreciate your time. And, and I don't use the video on this, but Rob, I have to say, I don't know if you've seen uh, on Twitter, rate your room. <laughs> I've seen that, that, but I don't know about Dr. Bird. Would you agree with me? I'd give you a 10 out of 10. If, yeah, if he's you're, looking sharp over there. I mean, oh, that's a, you you got your, your background or whatever you got on the zoom, but your background there is the lighting, the, the color scheme, the, the pictures on the wall, man, you get a 10. If we put that picture up on Twitter, you get a 10 out of 10 on rate your room. Oh yeah. I rented this Airbnb just for this interview. So I appreciate that. It's getting uh, some positive feedback. And where can people go? Where can people go get more information on Viome? I'll obviously we'll have a link down below in the show notes, but what's, uh, and do you guys put any information out on the socials? 
Yeah, I mean, you can check out uh, at my Viome on all the socials. That's probably the best place to go. Um, and then, you know, Viome.com has, uh, if you go to Viome.com backslash rise, that is the specific area uh, for athletes and, uh, and competitors. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Yes, that was an absolute fascinating conversation. And I mean, if if you're interested in that, if you want to learn, if you want to do the testing yourself, look down below in the show notes. They did give me a, they did give me a code. You can use it to save 10% on the testing kit. And actually folks, we got the holiday season is not too far away. And this might be a great holiday gift for somebody. I know if we've been spending a lot of time at home throughout COVID, you don't, we don't need more stuff in your, in our house. If you're like me, I don't need more stuff in my place, but getting a kit like Vio might be a great holiday gift. Because if, you're, if your loved ones are serious about fitness and they want to get the most out of their, their workout time, doing the Viome testing could help them optimize their nutrition and optimize their fitness to make that a possibility. So look down below in the show notes. You'll see the code from Viome and you'll be able to save 10% on, on a testing kit that you can apply right away. And this was a fascinating conversation. I mean it. I, I respect you as my listeners. I, don't, I, get, I get requests all the time. For people that want to come on, talk about a product, talk about a service, and I turn down about 90% of them. But every now and then, there's a product, there's a service like Viome, where I think it's so important that if I can talk to one of the scientists involved in the product, then by all means, I want to conduct the interview because it's not just about the product, it's about understanding the science behind it. And like I said in the introduction, the top, the top athletes are using this type of testing to optimize their nutrition. That's why so many of the top athletes are able to have extend are able to extend their careers well into into their 30s and even what we're seeing with, with Tom Brady into their early 40s. It's because they're they're using this information to help to optimize performance. You may not be getting paid millions of dollars to throw a football or millions of dollars to shoot a basketball, but why not use the same technology? Why not use the same information to help optimize performance in your life? So whatever you got going on, whatever you want to do, if it's just if you want to live day to day, live your healthiest, fittest life, if you want to look your best, perform your best at work, why not do the testing? Why not do Viome testing? If you're a runner or a cyclist and you want to perform your best for whatever your favorite activity is, Viome testing will help you do that. I'm going to go through the testing myself. I'm going to share that, share it with you, share the outcome with you about how it helps me with my nutrition and helps me optimize my performance. If you're, if you're enjoying all about fitness, you can follow me on Instagram. I've been putting up more content on Instagram, helping you learn about different exercises, why you should be doing them and how they're beneficial. My Instagram tag is Pete McCall underscore fitness. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness. If you like the all about fitness podcast, check out our YouTube channel. We have the all, I have the, we, it's me. I have the all about fitness podcast channel on YouTube where I'm trying to put up more content. Again, Everything I'm trying to do is to help you learn how to use exercise and fitness to enhance your quality of life. That's it. That's why I'm here. I've been educating personal trainers for years. I work with some of the top fitness equipment companies, and this stuff comes relatively easy for me. So I'm using this platform. I'm using my. I'm using the podcast. The podcast. I'm using my blog, PeteMcCallFitness.com. I'm using the All About Fitness podcast YouTube channel, and using my Instagram feed, PeteMcCall_Fitness. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. I'm using those channels to put out the content that can help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's why I'm here, folks. 
And as always, thank you for stopping by, and I will look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.